is about, what he is about, um, is directly tied to your experience of, of joy in him. And I know we all want joy. Um, we are, that's an easy one. But sometimes we think, well, I know Jesus. Um, we think of, we think of, let me put it this way. I think we wrongly think of knowing Jesus like a light switch on and off. And for me, the light switch is on because I know Jesus. But I think it's actually more, instead of like a light switch, like a dimmer switch. It's not just, yes, I know him or no, I don't know him. But there is a degree of knowing. We can grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Like a dimmer switch can go higher or lower. It's not purely, yes, I know him, but how well do you know him? And, and I, I'm convinced that we can grow and continually grow in our knowledge of Jesus and our experience of him and thus experiencing more joy in him. And I can tell you this because I learned something about Jesus this week as I was studying this passage, something, I mean, I got a master's in biblical and theological studies. I've, got, I've been a pastor for 20 years or whatever, and, and I still am learning about Jesus. And uh, so my hope today is that we would all grow in our knowledge uh, about Jesus, because that should matter. If we're followers of Jesus, it should matter that we know him and know him well. So I'm going to start us off with our foundational truth this morning. It's your first fill in the blank. I want to get right to it because... Um, it, it really sets the stage for what we're going to be talking about today, and you're going to see why I'm such a good pastor here in a second. This is an amazing foundational truth. Check this out. Followers of Jesus should actually follow Jesus. How about that, huh? Pretty, uh, you're like, oh, come on, Tom. Duh. Followers of Jesus should actually follow Jesus, um, and the reason I say that is I think uh, we've wrongly made following Jesus not so much about following him, but believing in him. Like we think if I'm a follower of Jesus, that means I believe these certain sets of things. And it's just about this belief. It's about faith. You know, I'm saved by faith, not by works. And then we can kind of take that to a place where therefore it doesn't matter what I do. And if it doesn't matter what I do, it doesn't really matter if I actually follow Jesus. But that's not how the Bible talks about it. It's not how Jesus talks about it. He, he wants followers, and followers follow. Follow what Jesus did. Follow um, the actions, the, what he did, and what he was about. Um, Jesus kind of talks about it as, as disciples, as kind of like an intern or an apprentice, someone who follows someone else to learn from, like, learn from them. Like if you're getting trained on a new job, you follow that, someone around, and they teach you what to do. It's like a life of that learning under Jesus to actually follow him. So this morning, uh, we're going to be talking about what Jesus was really about. We're going to be focusing on the purpose um, for uh, why he came and, and what, what he spent his time doing. And we're going to get this this morning from Jesus's, uh, his public announcement of his ministry, his public announcement of like, I'm the son of God, I'm the Messiah, and I'm here. There was like this moment where he just made it clear, his kind of coming out as the Messiah, as the Savior, the one that they've been looking forward to. Uh, he's here, and he's ready to go. And it's kind of almost like a, a title to his ministry, when he, he, or a title to what he's about. Um, and so it, it, I think it's revealing to us what Jesus want, really was about and, and how he packaged his ministry in this, in this moment where he's announcing himself. So this is in Luke chapter 4. Uh, so you can open there in your Bibles. It's actually also in your bulletins. So you can uh, turn there or just turn over in your bulletins has it too. Uh, Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30. So Zoomers, good morning, Zoomers. Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30 is our passage this morning. And this comes right after last week's passage where uh, Terry brought us the message from Jesus' temptation and overcoming uh, the devil and his temptation in the wilderness. And that brings them back uh, 
into the scene and the uh, announcement at the beginning of his ministry. He is now about 30 years old, and he's returned to his hometown where he grew up, where he was, uh, where he grew up, and uh, so this is his hometown of Nazareth. He's coming back uh, to be there, and then he, he has this scene in the synagogue. We're going to see Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30. So here's what it says. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Okay, remember, he, the Spirit led him uh, into the wilderness to be tempted. Uh, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. I'm like, man, this guy knows his stuff. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, and this is directly out of Isaiah, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. This was kind of a big moment. Verse 21, he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in, in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine through the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Wow. And we're kind of familiar. If you've read the Bible, I'm sure you're a little familiar with this passage. But reading it afresh, there's a lot of little details in here that make you go... Hmm, that, it's a lot, of, a lot of little things, little details that I think are very telling. Um, specifically, I think it's very interesting. We're going to see from Jesus, uh, his choice of scripture that he reads from Isaiah is very telling. And then the people's reaction to him, I think it's very telling. Because um, the, they were understanding what he was saying and they weren't liking it. Um, now, as far as his passage, we would agree that Jesus could have read any passage he wanted. He could have read any messianic prophecy. There's a bunch, even on Isaiah. So they hand him the, 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 the scroll of Isaiah. They didn't have Bibles then. They, they didn't all walk in with their Bibles. There was a, a scroll, the scroll of the Bible, the scrolls of all the books of the Bible were held in the synagogue, and they would bring them out, open them, and read them. And that's why people would come and listen, because that's, that's how you heard the word of God. Um, so they hand him Isaiah, and he opens it up to this passage. Now notice, he could have read, there's, there's prophecies about about his Davidic lineage, um, about his king, kingly lineage he could have read, about, about him being the savior. There's stuff about unending an unending uh, kingdom that will rule over the world. So he could have uh, spoke about victory and, and, and never being defeated. Any of that he could have read. He could have read any prophecy he wanted. But instead, he chose this one from Isaiah 61. 
uh, 1 and 2. That's where this is found, Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And again, so he reads, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So this is the one he reads. And from it, I think it reveals a lot about his purpose, what he's really about. And this is what I want to focus on today is Jesus' purpose, why he's doing what he does. His, well, notice his purpose informs what he does. So it's all his activities and actions are all informed by his purpose. So we want to, I want to today look at his purpose, what he was about. And these are your fill in the blanks. And we're going to see there's three parts to this purpose. I, it, it's kind of one statement built out in three parts. Um, so Jesus' spirit-led purpose, it's this. What begins with this, Jesus' spirit-led purpose, preach the gospel of grace. Preach the gospel of grace. He began this, this prophecy in Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 begins, the spirit of the Lord is on me. So he's saying, I am anointed. I'm anointed by God with the spirit of the Lord being on me. And he's uh, anointed, not just for any old reason, but anointed for a purpose. And the purpose is this, to proclaim good news. To pro proclaim good news. That word good news is, is the gospel. That, that's the same word. Gospel means good news. So he's here to say that he, as the son of God, has entered into creation as the Messiah, the Savior of God's people, their deliverer that they've been waiting for, and the time of deliverance is here and is now. And his message all through the Gospels is repent and believe, turn to God and follow him as the Messiah. So this, this, gospel, this gospel of grace. But I think there's one thing really interesting. When he read Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, he did it wrong. He made a mistake. He read it, he left out one part that's actually in, the, in Isaiah, and that part's not in here, which I think is really interesting because he didn't forget it, he did not know it, he didn't make a mistake and stop too early. I think there was intention in how he read it, because the actual Isaiah 61, 1 and 2 um, says this, uh, it after, right after it says, uh, to proclaim, he set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and it continues, and to proclaim, oh, it says that to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the vengeance of our God. He didn't read that part. Isn't that interesting? He didn't read about the, he stopped short of reading about the vengeance of our God. And I think that was intentional. Uh, he was making a point that the focus of what he was there to do in that moment in history, in, 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 in Nazareth and beyond, and in, in us today, is to bring the great, the gospel of grace. He was focusing on the grace of God in that moment, not the vengeance of God. Now, that doesn't make the vengeance of God any less true or any less impactful or real when it comes in his second coming. But in his first coming, what he came to do was to proclaim the gospel of grace. So that made me think, are we, as his followers, really about grace with others like he was? So he was there to bring the great to proclaim the gospel of grace. And I worry for a lot of us, we're anxious when it comes to other people to focus on the vengeance of God. Oh man, they're gonna get it when God comes, when Jesus comes back, they're gonna get it. They're oh, they're winning now, but you wait. When Jesus comes back, woo, going down, we're gonna be on top. Yet Jesus was all focused on the grace in this moment the gospel of grace. He didn't even mention the vengeance of God, even though it was right there in the passage. 
So Jesus was so much about this gospel of grace, about, about, about proclaiming this. This was his purpose to describe what he did and informed all his decisions and the choices he made about where he went and what he did. It's so much so that later in this very chapter that we didn't read after this, he goes on and starts doing all these miracles around town. And he, uh, he's healing the sick. He's driving out demons. He, he's, uh, there's two different accounts of driving out demons. And the word is getting out. He's healing people and driving out demons. So all the crowds are gathering around him, and they're all coming up to him. And, and because he's doing all this amazing work. And if, if the whole point was to, like, to gather a crowd, he's got the crowd. Like, people are there. Like, he is trending. Um, this is a big deal. Uh, people are responding, and they're right there, and they want a miracle, too, in their life. And yet, on, in that moment, he says, okay, they're all here. Time to move on. And he leaves. He says, all right, the disciples are all excited. He says, all right, let's go, next town. And he says in verse 43, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. That's how the chapter ends. So he's doing the miracles. People are excited about the miracles, but he says, okay, time to move on. And he moves on to the next place. Because what he was about, it wasn't so much about all the, the miracles and, and, and relieving these temporary things that people were going through. Instead, he was about proclaiming the gospel of grace. And so even though the crowds were there, he's like, time to move on. Time to go to the next place. I got to tell, I need to continue to preach. I need to continue to preach this gospel of grace. So even his, his work of, of casting out demons and, um, and healing people was still a subset of what he was really about, proclaiming this gospel, proclaiming the gospel of grace. Because that, that was his purpose, what he was about. And again, if we're followers of Jesus, it should matter us what, to what he was about, like what his purpose was. And if we're followers of his, I would hope our purpose would be his purpose. Like we would be about those same things. So following Jesus isn't just about the do's. I do these things because Jesus did those things. And I, I abstain from these other things because Jesus abstained from those things. It's not just purely that, but I think there's another level to it, a deeper level, and that's a level of purpose. Are we about what Jesus is about? He was about preaching the gospel of grace. Or are we living for our own purpose and then trying to mix in some of the activities of Jesus as we're living for our own purpose? And it feels like there's a disconnect because I'm doing my own life, doing what I, I'm living for my own purpose. And, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to include the stuff Jesus did. And, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to abstain from the stuff that Jesus didn't do. And they could feel this disconnect. It could feel kind of random. Well, that's because we're living for our own purpose and then trying to mix in what Jesus did rather than adopting Jesus' purposes for our life. Uh, I heard one pastor put it this way. Followers of Christ are called to live for a great cause, not a great comfort. I think a lot of us follow Jesus in order we can receive a great comfort. We definitely get comfort from that, but there's a greater cause, a purpose in our following of Christ, not to increase our own comfort, but to advance Christ's cause. So the idea, when I, when I go to bed at night, when I get up in the morning, I'm, uh, instead of thinking about my, advancing my own comforts and what I want, instead it's how can I advance Christ's comforts and be about what he wants. And the reason I bring this up the, the point of this whole series is I want us all to experience joy. There's a, Jesus as our great joy, our source of great joy, and the path of great joy. And I think it comes as we adopt Christ's purpose. When we live for the purposes that Christ lived for, we experience this joy. And this joy that we come from that is unassailable by the things of the world. 
I mean, check out the disciples. The disciples were, were they adopted this purpose of Christ and they're, they're preaching the gospel. And that was the reason they got up in the morning and the, when they're going to bed, they're thinking about preaching the gospel. And they get put into prison, beat up, put into prison. I don't know about you, but that would be my worst day, getting beat up and put in prison. That's probably my, my low point in life. And for them, they're praising God and singing, rejoicing in prison. How could they do that? Because they had an unassailable joy. Their purpose was to preach the gospel. And you know what? They had done it. And even though they got their, their comfort taken away in their prison, they're like, hey, it's all good. We were preaching the gospel, and they were feeling the joy of that, this unassailable joy. And so I think they're, the reason that I think there's a disconnect with us because we're reluctant to, to adopt the purpose of Christ. So maybe we want to follow him by, you know, believing in him and maybe in, embracing a few of his activities. But until we really adopt his purpose, I think there's that disconnect. All right, let's keep going. Okay, so not only did he preach the gospel of grace, let's see who he preached it to. Jesus' spirit-led purpose preached the gospel of grace to the hurting and marginalized. Notice he preached specifically to the hurting and marginalized. Uh, those the world says are less than. The world, those the world says are less important. Those the world says are less central. Those who have been pushed to the margins of society. Uh, look in this, uh, in this Isaiah 61 passage, the, the recipients of, of his ministry, the targets of his ministry, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, the oppressed. These are the, the down and outers, the struggling, the hurting, the people you and I choose not to be around. The people that are having a hard time, not the elite. Notice he didn't say he's bringing it to the elite or to the, the influential and the rich and the powerful and the impactful and the charismatic and the exciting and the trendy. None of that. Poor, the prisoner, the blind, the outcast. And what was really revolutionary about this at the time, everybody in that synagogue thought those people the poor, the, the, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed, well, those are the people God don't like. And the reason they're in the situation they're in, because they messed up along the way, and they're getting what they get. Because if, if they had really been following God, they'd be have all these blessings. And since they have this bad stuff in their lives, clearly, well, they must be bad in some way. And they were pushed to the margin. Because remember, in the, there's an account where there's a man born blind, and the disciples like, Jesus, so why is he blind? Was it the sin of his parents or his own sin? The root of that question, the reason that bad thing happened to him is his own, because of fault, because of sin. And so that was the beliefs back then. And yet Jesus prioritized these people that were hurting and struggling. They were helpless. They were hopeless. And what was beautiful about him is this group of people know they need a change. Know they need something different. Others would prioritize the rich and powerful and the impactful and, and those people. We know what Jesus said about them. Oh, man, it is so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says they are not ready. They, yeah, they, oh, boy. And what was Jesus about? Proclaiming the good news. The rich weren't ready to hear it. The poor, the oppressed, the prisoner, the blind, they were ready to hear it. And so that's where he spent his time. God really works in, in our dis, in dissatisfaction. When we're realizing, man, my life is a mess, I need a change, that's where God works. If I think I have all the answers and I got it figured out and I'm living large, God's voice is very small in that moment usually. 
And so he focuses on those who realize, hey, they need, they need a change. Life is not going well. And they're, they're very dependent and ready for a change. They're ready to hear it. And again, that's who Jesus prioritized. So who do we prioritize? Who do we prioritize spending time with? Who do we go out of our way to see? Who will we schedule in and say, yes, I want to spend time with them? Jesus prioritized the poor, the prisoner, the blind, and the oppressed. Why? Because he was all about preaching the, the, the good news of grace, preaching the gospel of grace. That's what it was about. And he said he knew this people group was ready to hear it. Okay, so Jesus led it, the spirit-led purpose, preach the gospel of grace to the hurting and the marginalized. And now this last part, um, I think is super interesting and super easy to miss because I did. I, I never considered this until I was studying this week and it just kind of dawned on me, um, this, this other thing from this that really reveals what Jesus was about. And it's found in the reactions of the people, the listeners as he was reading and when he was talking in their reactions, I think there's a great insight that's easy for us to miss because we weren't there in the room as we just read this. Typically, this passage is taught like this. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Therefore, the people um, of Nazareth were unwilling and unable to accept Jesus as the Messiah because they saw him in diapers. They saw him fall and skin his knee. They heard him cry at the grocery store. They, you know, so they think, no, that can't be the Messiah. They were unwilling to accept him because they knew that's where no prophets accepted in his hometown. So therefore, when he said he was a Messiah, they said, nah, get out of here. Can't be. But that's not actually how that went. Did you catch? It was different. It didn't actually go like that. Instead, what happens is he reads, in, he reads Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, announcing himself for the Messiah, and as the Messiah and says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your presence. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the Deliverer. I'm here. He says, a clear as day for them to hear. And their response, verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They're all good with it. They're like, wow, this is amazing. This guy can really teach, and there's something to it. They were fine. They were, they were happy. They were good with it. Then Jesus says, hey, you know how a prophet's not accepted in his hometown? You guys aren't going to like this next part. And then he mentions two people. He mentions a widow from Zarephath and a guy named Naaman. And then they lose their minds. Then they're so angry, they drive him out, they carry him to a cliff, and they're ready to throw him off. So something in those stories, it wasn't when he claimed to be the Messiah that they got mad, it's when he mentioned the widow from Zarephath and Naaman. And that's when they were like, oh, you've gone too far. You need to die today. Like, they went from zero to 100 on the anger meter. So what is up with those stories? What, what was it about those two stories that would make them re react so strongly? Well, that widow, the account of the widow is found in 1 Kings 17, verses 8 through 24. And it's a story where Elijah, the prophet, during, he's off uh, in the wilderness during a time of famine. There's no food. And he, God calls him to go to this widow and ask her to share the last bit of her grain with him. There's no food in the land three and a half years. He's got this much grain left. And he goes and asks her to share that grain. And God tells her to share the grain with her, with him, even though she's got her own son to feed. And God feeds, she uses that grain, bakes up um, some bread for their last meal. And then God miraculously, miraculously continues to fill the pot with grain. 
every time she'd make it, the pot would refill and, and fed them through the famine through this. And, and then ultimately raised her son from the dead a little bit later, which is also amazing. So God does this amazing work in this widow from Zarephath. Well, what was super significant is she was from Zarephath. And to us, that's just a Bible name. But to them, that was a big deal. That meant she wasn't Jewish. She was an outsider to the people of God. She was a Gentile. That were the Jewish people, they're the others. And she wasn't one of us. She was one of them. And that's where God worked. Naaman is found in 2 Kings chapter 5, 2 Kings chapter 5, uh, where God heals him of leprosy uh, with, through the prophet Elisha. And Naaman is sent, to, sent by God to Elisha, and Elisha tells him to go bathe in the Jordan seven times. And after the seventh time of bathing in the Jordan, he gets up and all the leprosy is gone off of him. And he's clean and he's healed. Amazing miracle of God through the prophet Elisha. Uh, what made this significant, again, Naaman is not Jewish. Not just that he wasn't Jewish, he was, an, he was a commander in the army fighting the Jewish people. He was a commander in the Syrian army who opposed the people of God. And yet that's who God did this miracle in. So when Jesus got up and said, hey, you guys are going to like this part, but you know how God did a work in the widow in Zarephath and in Naaman? That's why I'm here. And they threw their scrolls down and they were mad and they stormed out and they were going to throw them off a cliff. Why? Because he says, I'm not just here to work in you guys. I'm going to go, I'm here to work in them too. And they weren't having it. So the final part I want to add to this, Jesus' spirit-led purpose, preach the gospel of grace to the hurting and marginalized, and not just among those you consider us, in quotes, but also among those you consider them, quotes. So we didn't just come to work in those we consider us, but also to those you would consider them, them, others, outsiders, people outside of faith, people that believe and live by a whole different lifestyle, people that make choices that seem very opposite of what the people of God are meant to do. There's the people of God and there's the others. And they, there's others, there's people you look at, say they are opposed to faith. They are opposed to God. They are enemies of faith. They are different. They are wrong. They can never be saved because they are opposed to God. But God didn't just come to work in those we consider us, like ourselves, but in those we consider them. There are so many thems in society today. So many thems, so many people other. We're all segmented with our different groups, and racially, there are others. People that you get along when you think they're like yourself and you're like, yeah, that's my people. And then there's the others. And often the others you feel like are preju prejudiced against you. They're enemies of you. They view things differently from you and they view you differently. They're enemies. And yet God came to work in them too, not just in us, in them. Culturally, there's people live whole different ways than you make life choices different from you. And these life choices could appear to be anti-God and opposed to what the life of faith is. And you can feel like they are opposed to Christianity and they're the others. And there is something to be opposed and to over, be overcome. And yet God works in them. He came to work in them too. Politically, I don't even need to go there. That goes without saying, right? They're the others politically. 
We've got it so far, we've got named, we've named the differences so that we can identify what people stand for, what they believe, and the people that believe different from us, there are others. We're opposed to them. We don't like them. We know we feel they're wrong because they are wrong. But yet God came to work in them too. So the sin he was calling out in the, in the synagogue to the, uh, the listeners in Nazareth in that moment, the sin he was calling out in them, what he was correcting in them as they were misrepresenting as his people, that their place as his chosen people, it did not produce in them humility and compassion. As his chosen people, they were chosen by God. Instead of producing a humility and compassion, instead it, it, it produced pride and scorn. Instead of, I can't believe God chose me. I'm, I feel so humbled by that, that God would choose me. I want to submit to him. Instead, it's prideful. God chose me and scorn to those on the outside. Does that describe the church today of America? That we've taken the, our position as the chosen people of God instead of lead, let, uh, making that lead us to humility and compassion for others, instead to pride and scorn. Who do you think is beyond God's reach? I bet there's someone in your life. I bet there's a face that comes to mind right now in your life. Somebody that's beyond God's reach. They would never turn to God. They're anti all this. That just, I just could never see it. Could never be saved. You know, the rest of this chapter is this Jesus exercising authority. The word authority is used over and over and over the rest of this chapter. He got up to preach, and they, they were amazed by his authority. And then he, he cast out a demon, and the demon responds with authority. He exercises authority over the illness, and all this about authority. What, he's, what that's really saying, the point of all that, is he has authority to do whatever he wants. And he could even save that person you think could never be saved. He can do it. He has authority over all things. He has authority to save your enemy, the person you think can never be saved. So it's important for us to remember that this, what, this is what Jesus was about. It's important for us to remember that he came not just to work in us, not just in the work in all of us lovely people that are our church family and the people we care about and matter to us, but he came to work in them too, others, the people that are outside of faith in this moment. Yet God came to work in them. Okay, so let's wrap this up. In conclusion, if we call ourselves to be followers of Jesus, we need to be what he was about. We should adopt the purposes of him. It's more than just doing what he did because the purpose informs why he did those things. And if we skip the informing the purpose part and we're just doing those things, it feels like it feels pointless and out of character to do that. So in adopting the purpose of what he was about. Now, what was his purpose? To preach the gospel of grace to the hurting and the marginalized. And not just among those you consider us, but also among those you would consider them. So my closing question for you is this, as you, to wrap you up and just to trigger in you a little thought, what is, what is your life purpose? What is your life purpose? When you get up in the morning, what's your mind on? What's your hope for that day? What does it include? And does it include this purpose of Christ? If no, it's time to adjust, time to turn, time to uh, fine tune back to the purpose of Christ. Man, there's so much joy in this. It's so much joy when we can accept this and live this. And so that's what I want for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your commitment to the gospel, commitment of grace. And God, we acknowledge as recipients of that grace and say thank you. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for, for reaching into our messed up lives and pulling us out of the muck amidst our hurting and, and struggle. And yet you pulled us up. So thank you for that. 
And God, I pray that that work you did in us, you would continue to do that work in others and help us to embrace that, to, to look for that, to build our lives around that, seeing you work in those we think you wouldn't be able to work. God, we declare your authority over all things, all the hurting, all the struggle. And God, pray that you would uh, do a work through your gospel of grace and do it through us. In Jesus' name, amen.